Hello, and welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. This is the podcast that looks at one film in each episode and uses it to explain the nine types and three instinctual biases of the Enneagram model of personality. One movie, one type. My name is Mario Sakura, and I'll be joined by Maria Jose Munita and Tamara Zanatti. We are the principals of Awareness to Action International, a global consulting and training company that specializes in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about us and our work at awarenesstoaction.com. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. This time we are talking about the movie Defending Your Life in Enneagram Type 6, the movie that uh, answers the question, how little of your brain do you need to use in order to be content with life on Earth? Uh, I'm Mario Sakura. As always, I'm with Maria Jose Munita. Hi there. And with Tamara Zanatti. Hello, Mario. Hello, Maria. Hello, everyone. So the movie Defending Your Life um, is uh, stars Albert Brooks, a uh, comedian and uh, stand-up comic, writer, director, and Meryl Streep, as was pointed out during our pre-show conversation. It stars a young Meryl Streep, uh, which, again, uh, points to our theme of picking movies that are not uh, exactly new. Uh, this movie was released 30 30 years ago yesterday, uh, on the day that we're recording this, um, and it stars, uh, again, Albert Brooks, who also wrote and directed the movie, um, as Daniel Miller, an advertising executive who is killed in a car accident at a young age. I think he's 39 in the movie when he is killed and ends up going into the afterlife to a place called Judgment City, where he is going to be uh, evaluated to see if he gets to move on to the next place or if he has to be recycled, uh, sent back to Earth to continue to work on his fear. So I like this movie. I think I'm a bigger fan of the movie than the two of you are. I will say that um, Rotten Tomatoes' aggregate score is 97% positive among critics, although the audience score is less. It's around 70%. So it's a movie that was more popular with critics than it was with the audience. Uh, one of the things I liked about it was just the conceit of the movie that in the afterlife you go on and you're evaluated to see if you dealt with the challenges that life brought your way or not okay uh what did you guys think of the conceit of the movie in that way it's it's a fantasy it's nice it uh, it i think it it's a format that gives the director and the script writer to be to use the imagination and actually deliver a message with without uh, having to be so realistic about it and so, so i think it, it helped a lot to deliver the message Maria jose i think it was it was smart there were a lot of subtle messages given and it, it, for me, it was very interesting how they kept saying, we're not judging you, but it was yeah. a trial. Judgment City. <laughs> yes, Judgment City. <laughs> and the building was Judgment something. And there was uh, the defender and the <laughs> prosecutor, but it's not Judgment. Yeah. Uh, we're not judging you. So that was 
interesting. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a line where he says to his uh, his defender, so basically I'm on trial for my life, right? And he says, well, we don't like to think of it as a trial, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was the perfect movie for Type 6. I don't think I could find a better movie for it. Mm-hmm. It's in so many ways, because it's not only the Type 6 ex- inner experience, but it is the inner conflict reflected in the different characters, I think. Makes it perfect to discuss six, I think. Yeah, and that was the motivation behind the movie. So I, I liked the movie, and um, you know, you guys weren't as keen on it as I was. But it's, uh, you know, it's certainly not Citizen Kane or anything. But it's, it, you know, it's a cute and it's a clever movie, and uh, I like Albert Brooks and his humor, which is certainly not slapstick. It's kind of you know subtle and arch, and and uh, I thought Meryl Streep was very good in this. Uh, I, I thought her character was great and she did a great job of it a uh, little interesting tidbit was that she went to him heard about the movie he was writing and asked for a part in it when they met at a party at some point and he just thought you know no way am i going to get meryl streep to be in this movie and turns out she really did want to be in the movie and i thought she she did a great job with it but the main reason we picked it is because it is the best movie i've ever seen that captures sixness right and uh, albert brooks is a six in real life and uh you know at least as certain as i can be and it's the the movie as if someone said you know what let's write a movie about what it's life to be stuck in the head of a six you know and uh, film it and this movie's it yeah i I see that the 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 passion i mean according to the traditional enneagram the the passion the fixation and the virtue is like the main elements of the movie this is this what makes it the the best movie for the six. So, so you see, the fear is the is the central topic, and yes. uh, uh, being coward or I mean, not doing things because of fear is really like a repetitive pattern that he's been trying for uh, in in the days that we have seen. And the transformation happens when he finds the courage and acts on it. So yes. that makes it the right movie for six. Yes, uh, for sure. And uh, so, so the premise of the movie, right? Like I said, he he dies in a car accident. It's a, it's an inglorious death. Uh, he you know gets into a head-on collision with a with a bus uh, while listening to Barbara Streisand of all things in his new car. In his in his brand new, he's driving home from just having bought a Mercedes. I uh, know. I'm sorry, BMW. And uh, it's his birthday. So he wakes to find himself in Judgment City, right? although he's barely awake, you know, and, uh, at the time, because there is this kind of humorous period where they can't move or talk or anything like that, and they're just being wheeled around. He gets uh, put into his hotel room. He th- Basically, the premise is that he has a trial, although they don't like to call it a trial, to determine whether or not he sufficiently learned how to deal with his fear. Because according to the premise of the movie, that is the main thing that everybody on Earth is dealing with, right? How do I overcome my fear? And so again, it is very much a movie from the worldview of a six, right? This is my central issue, is dealing with fear and overcoming it, making that transition that Tamara and I talked about. Now, while there, as one might imagine, uh, so there are no children there, because children, apparently, if they die, immediately get sent to the, the next stage. And plus, uh, apparently, teenagers ruined the uh, uniforms that they had to wear. The so they didn't, the, the tupas, yes, thank you. And so they had to send teenagers to another place. Most of the people are fairly elderly 
in Judgment City. You know, Daniel is one of the handful of young people, meets Meryl Streep's Julia, who is also uh, there. And they fall quickly in love. They're there for, I think, five days and uh, have to decide what to do once they have fallen in love uh, before they go on. So we'll get to those points, uh, but that's basically the premise of the movie. Let's see, not a not a huge success, right? Um, it's you know one of those movies that you know some people who like movies know about. Made about sixteen million dollars at the box office, which is not much. I couldn't even find any information about how much the movie cost to make, but it doesn't look like it was a hugely expensive movie. Uh, Albert Brooks is an interesting guy who's had an interesting career, right? So he's started in uh, as a comedy writer, uh, writing for TV shows and other comedians, became a stand-up comedian, started doing his own movies. He would write, produce, direct, and act in a handful of movies. Then went on to kind of be um, an actor in other people's movies. He actually plays a really great bad guy in a movie called Drive with Ryan Gosling. I mean, just a scary, scary bad guy, which is about as opposite from this character as you could think, right? But he's, he's very effective in that. Yeah, that I was wondering why it, it wasn't too popular at the time. And thinking about what happens after... We die. It's something that a lot of people wrestle with. <laughs> uh-huh. And this doesn't paint a pretty picture. It's kind of like a nightmare. And ah, interesting. Yeah. So I don't think it's something that people want to watch because it's really close to hearts. It's, it's something that people worry about. And, and then playing with this scenario, it's just not encouraging. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. To second uh, Maria Jose, again, it's the central uh, issue of the fear. So people would fear to watch this movie as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's it's fantasy. I mean, it's science fiction, but not so much. It's something that you think about. Yes, there's a there's a sadness almost to this movie, right? There's uh, and and again, that's Albert Brooks's. Um, kind of style is uncomfortable humor, right? You know, it's kind of funny, but kind of sad, scary, and tragic at the same time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I can see that. Although I, I found I found the concept, you know, if there is an afterlife, you know, I think that's not such a bad one, right? I mean, that you, you know, I mean, the uh, worst case scenario is you go back for another try to get it right, you know, and then you move on to another so anyway so interesting concept again it was it was well regarded by the critics it got basically good reviews um the acting is good but you know again just not a movie that really took off i think under deserved it was coming at a time and i don't know what this was socially where there were a lot of movies actually dealing with the afterlife at the time right uh, i made a list of them recently but i I can't quite remember, but Ghost, for example, also came out with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, and there were other movies like this, asking sort of philosophical questions in, you know, in trying to be a lighthearted way. So, if, um, if, if I am going to yeah. think about the afterlife, I prefer to think about Ghost than <laughs> this one, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, okay. uh, you know, tomato, tomato, you know, chocolate, yeah. and vanilla, right? So, that's, that's all right. Okay. So, um, 
one of uh, one of my favorite character actors appears in this movie, uh, Rip Torn, who plays his um, his defender, Bob Diamond. Uh, I I will watch Rip Torn in anything. He played Artie in the the Larry Sanders show, and Gary Shandling, who made that TV series, is very much like Albert Brooks. Very same similar comedy style, awkward six-ish style uh but uh, I'll, I'll watch rip torn in anything he just makes me laugh uh, any reactions to rip torn from the two of you indifference <laughs> no, 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 not indifference i think he was uh-huh. interesting and a bit different than the other characters he was just making fun of everything being mean but sweet enough that you wouldn't get angry at him uh it's just he was just condescendent and and that was funny <laughs> yes, it, I, I, it's, love, it's almost, I love his sentence ahead. that you will not understand it every yeah. time. Yes. <laughs> and at the end, he would, I was trapped in my inner circle of yeah. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. said, I told you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and that takes us to one of the other premises of the movie, right? Before we start talking about type six, one of the other premises of the movie was that humans only use between three and five percent of their brain. But as you go on from the next, you know, from one dimension to the next, you use increasingly larger parts of your brain okay so i think you know bob diamond used 41 percent of his brain compared to uh, daniel's three percent well 47 yeah okay 47 and so there were a lot of these lines where like well you wouldn't understand it primarily because you don't have the capacity to understand it uh, it did seem kind of condescending and uh, uh that way but when he was uh, eating he said, no, you won't like it. <laughs> it tastes like horse shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, but my brain is able to, you know, reformulate the taste so it yeah. tastes delicious, right, is kind of what happened, uh, you know. So, yeah. So, uh, Rip Torn, just a quick note about him. So, he was a, a promising actor in the 60s and early 70s. And then, you know, uh, but had a bit of a challenge with alcohol and drugs and, you know, not liking to follow rules or the law, you know, uh, kind of derailed his career for a long time. And even um, the last time he was in the news, he got drunk, had a uh, loaded gun and broke into a bank at night thinking he was trying to break into his house that he was locked out of, right? Or at least that was his defense. While he was convicted of disorderly conduct and trespassing, uh, he didn't have to go to prison. He got a suspended sentence. So he was a colorful character in real life. I think he died recently, but um, I'm a big, I, I just love watching him. All right. So as Tamara mentioned already, the um, and as Maria Jose said, this is very much a six movie. If you want to understand sixes, it will serve you well to watch this movie. Okay. Again, the classical Enneagram talks about fear being the vice of the six. And so fear is an emotion induced by perceived danger or threat, which causes physiological changes and ultimately behavioral changes, such as mounting an aggressive response or fleeing the threat. Okay. I thought that definition was interesting because it captures two things that we see in sixes, right? Either a phobic response or a counterphobic response. Usually people in the Enneagram you know, world talk about phobic versus counterphobic sixes. I think that's a mistake in that uh, pretty much all sixes are at times phobic and at times counterphobic, right? Meaning aggressive in the face of fear. And I think we saw that in Daniel. 
as well during the movie. Sort of this very much fearful element, but also this you know, aggressive element, right? Would you, any thoughts on that? So when I was watching the movie, I was struggling or thinking about his subtype, Daniel's subtype. And I think that he manifests both phobic and counterphobic kind of behaviors at different times. And I think that's the reality of the six. It's not yeah. one or the other. It's both in different situations. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, um... And the and the scene when where he was driving the car before his death, I was like not understanding how does this relate to to his character and and actually because he was so reckless in driving the car, I mean, not only uh, at the moment of the accident, but even before that he was like uh, changing lanes without I mean and pissing everyone around him and so on. So and and this this looks like kind of counterphobic uh, behavior as well. Yeah. So I want to save the conversation about his subtype toward the end, to the end of the podcast, because I do have some thoughts on that. But you're absolutely right. So there, you know, there's this, there's this mythology that sixes are careful all the time and they never take any risks and, you know, never, you know, take their eyes off the road, for example. Okay. But if you know some real sixes, you realize that they kind of bounce around a lot, right? You know, they can be, you know, hyper vigilant and fearful. But then almost carelessly reckless at other times, right? It's almost as if they give up, you know, the frustration. And when we talk about the, uh, uh, the, the six's connection to point nine, we talk about laziness versus irresponsibility. I mean, irresponsibility and, you know, laziness versus vigilance, okay? Where it's just, I, I stop caring for a while. And I don't care if this pisses you off. And in fact, I'm going to needle you and irritate you and piss you off a little bit just to see how you react. And there's a lot of that in Daniel, right? He, for example, when he heckles the uh, comedian, right? Uh, and then gives him a hard time. That's not a kind of what we would think of as something fearful, right? Or of a timid person. So again, it's our view that all sixes, even though there is this issue about fear, are both phobic and counterphobic, and you can't rely on that as an indicator in any particular way. There are degrees, right? Some sixes are much more counterphobic, and they tend to fall into the transmitting domain, a kind of a Mel Gibson character or, you know, some others, right? Awareness to Action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations, as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team and awareness to action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities. So uh, the fixation of the six is cowardice. Now, it's interesting, you know, every time I see that word, 
as a fixation and something to talk about. There's something that makes me want to stay really far away from it because, boy, how could you to say that to somebody? How could you call someone a coward? There's no, uh, you know, greater insult almost, okay? You know, but there's an interesting definition here of cowardice, which is a, a trait wherein excessive fear prevents an individual from taking a risk or facing danger. So it's that impulse to avoid taking a risk. And we will see this coming up in Daniel for sure, right? It's a theme, as Tamara pointed out. And then finally, courage is the virtue. Um, And uh, ultimately, the six is redeemed when they were able to uh, tap into their courage. The awareness to action approach to the Enneagram. Uh, Maria Jose, why don't you tell us how we talk about the type six? So as with the other types, we see the strategy of the six as a a feeling, starting with a feeling need. In this case, it's striving to feel secure. That need to feel secure affects the way they think and how they act. So in this case, when you're striving to feel secure, you think of ways that help you with that. So you will think of what could go wrong, what are the risks. So you look ahead and try to see all the holes or all the things that could make it could make you feel insecure and try to manage those risks and either avoid them or do something so that they are not risks anymore they might look kind of um for things that are hidden that are not explicit and all these things happen in their heads now that makes them act in ways that are a bit, they, they look a bit more alert in their behavior. They seem pessimistic sometimes, uh, although they think that they're realistic. They try to sometimes hold back so that they don't have to face those risks and do things that are related to these uh, thinking patterns and then they root it in this feeling need. Now, these can be adaptive or maladaptive. So it is good to think of those things. It is good to look ahead and see what could go wrong and do something about it. Now, when you overdo it, it could become maladaptive. So sixes manifest both things, the maladaptive and the adaptive uh, behaviors rooted in these feeling need of striving to feel secure. I think we see all of this in Daniel. We see the connecting points, certainly. We see there's a lot of three stuff going on in Daniel as well, right? Uh, uh, Tamara, what did you see related to point three in Daniel during the movie? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, many situations, especially when it relates to his career, he was manifesting certain behaviors that are related to three. So it's like the the rehearsal uh, before facing his uh, boss. He wants he wanted to show how valuable he is to the company. He wanted, although I mean the the actual situation was completely different. But it it, it shows where where does this. I mean, come from the connection with the point three. I want to show my, you know, uh, my outstanding work to uh, to the company. Uh, he's wanting to go and present to the, a large group of people 
Although again, when he implemented that, it was a complete disaster. But actually, having this into his uh, process of thinking, and this is an opportunity that I want to excel at it, and and then being held by his own fears, is is also a pattern. I don't know with the nine. I have seen, I mean, uh, lots of uh, subtle, you know, nine connections or being not really wanting to rest and not wanting to, yes. yeah, not yeah. not wanting to let go of his own guards uh, toward things, S- especially especially in the dinner with uh, Meryl Streep, with he, where he was really scared. <laughs> yeah. Bite down, yeah. bite down, yeah. bite down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and like Meryl Streep uh, wanted. I mean, she's she's not saying that, but it's like, I mean, uh, come on, I mean, just relax. And he just yes. don't want to relax. Yes, yeah. yes, because his prosecutor is watching yes. him and he is, you know, he can't just relax and have dinner like a normal person. All yeah. he's thinking about is my prosecutor is watching from across the uh, room and uh, he sees my date with an endless string of spaghetti that she won't bite down, right? And she's having too much fun at the restaurant, right? Uh, which makes him feel uncomfortable. So, yeah, so, and it's important, you know, when we talk about these connecting points, that, again, it's not like the six becomes a three. It's that they start using that strategy of striving to feel outstanding as a way to feel more secure. And so they, you know, look a little bit three-ish, you know, with the BMW, for example, that whole plot line of him buying the BMW in the beginning and, you know, sort of taps into that as well. Okay, so uh, first major scene I want to talk about was, uh, you know, when he wakes up in Judgment City and he has to have, he gets a phone call, right? He has no idea where he is. He doesn't know what's going on. He's wearing a tupa, which is a one-piece uh, I don't know. How would you describe that? It's like a gown. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so my daughter came into the room when I was watching the movie and said, why are they all wearing those things? <laughs> you know, what are those? <laughs> I couldn't yes. explain. But what I thought it was funny about it, it's that they, they use those because they work on everyone. So it's something that it, they won't have a problem with those yes, because yes. it's they're anticipating issues. So yes. they, they have those two parts so that they fit on yeah. everyone. Yeah. One size fits all, no pockets, so you don't have to worry about carrying anything. Right, you know? so, yeah, and, and the yeah. other thing that I thought it was funny was that right from the beginning when they arrived at the hotel, the guy said, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry. It's like the message that it's everywhere. Yes. You don't need to yes. worry about it today. Yes. Don't worry about it. And that's yes. the worst thing you can tell a six. Yes. If you tell me not to worry, it means that I have to worry about something. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely right. So he wakes up in the morning and uh, while he's waiting, uh, you know, while he's kind of figuring out what's happening, he turns on the television and he starts seeing the shows, one of which is a game show called Face Your Fears. Uh, again, you know, uh, hammering away on that theme. Uh, he gets the call saying that he has to go to meet with his defender, Bob Diamond. He goes down for breakfast. You know, I just love the whole theme and the whole premise around food here, right? The idea is that the food is the best you've ever tasted. You can eat all you want. You'll never gain a pound, right? I mean, if that is not heaven, what is? Uh, So he goes down to breakfast and asks the waitress what's good. She says everything's good. He says, I'll have the omelet. Takes a bite. It's the best thing he ever had. He has to rush off. Now, I have to give a little personal story here. He gets into the tram to go for the meeting and there's the old woman woman sitting next behind him 
right? And she reaches up and rubs his head. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, Albert Brooks has curly hair, and she rubs his head and says, you remind me of my little poodle, right? So uh, my son has curly hair, kind of like Albert Brooks's little bit nicer i think but uh anyway it's the same thing so from the time he was two years old i would walk up behind him put my hand on his head and say you remind me of my little poodle right and for years it just irritated him and irritated him and he had no idea why i was saying it because we don't have a poodle and uh, so finally about a year and a half ago defending your life is uh, now my son's 17 almost 18 now defending your life is on television and when that scene is coming up i call him into the room and i say here sit down sit down sit down right and he says why i don't want you know and that scene comes up and he looks at me and he says all these years that is what you've been doing are you kidding me and just got up and walked out so <laughs> so didn't anyway think it was funny <laughs> he didn't think it was funny no and it was really a long way to go for a joke that only i enjoyed right for 14 years but no oh, i'm okay with that so anyway so he goes to meet with bob diamond who starts yeah, to explain so, so before that i think that no. there's so many things that scream six and here before that happened so mm -hmm. it's you can eat all you want, no consequences. It is heaven, but it's also taking your worries away. It's trying to help you relax and not worry. You won't gain a pound. You don't have to worry. The whole city has to look like, uh, was meant to look like home for them so that they wouldn't worry about it. It wouldn't make people anxious. And even the when they call him, they tell him that he should take the tram so that he makes sure that he's in time. So it's everything about yes. diminishing or minimizing the risks that yes. just worry about. Ex excellent point. Excellent point. So it's try it's, it's providing security, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the through yeah. Even time. even the theme with the food, because I, I kept on trying to understand why do they stress that much on food, and then <laughs> it came to me because this is the basic fear. I mean. You can, you ran out of food. I mean, you, you do everything not to run out of food. So uh, he meets Bob Diamond. Bob Diamond's um, telling him, every, you know, uh, what's going on. Uh, it was an interesting thing, too, that uh, when he's getting off the tram, somebody tells him, you know, if there's any problems, just let us know. There's a suggestion box on every corner. Right. Uh, you know, so to help us again, make it more secure for, for people. Right? So Bob Diamond explains to him that, uh, you know, the whole process that he is being evaluated. Uh, it's not a trial, but it is not a prosecutor, but it is not judges, but they are. And he has to defend his life by arguing that he has overcome his fears. Uh, it is explained to him again, again about the brain thing. Now, uh, you both know I have a pet peeve about this myth that humans only use 10% of their brain, right? Uh, you know, what's the rest of it? Wood, uh, you, you know, it, no, you use all of your brain. That is a myth, a myth, you know, for some reason people seem to believe. So I had to get over that, you know, part of this and let my own, you know, irritation. Mario, it's a fantasy, Mario. You can, you can I really understand, let go. <laughs> I understand, Tamara. You know, I understand. It's not a scientific movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. So I think, um, I think what they, what they meant here is really uh, putting fears away in order to really think about all the opportunities that you have in life. I mean, living life. So, I mean, the percentage has indicated somehow what you're holding yourself from because of the fears. Yeah, 
good, good observation, right? It's this idea that we're cutting ourselves off from so much, right? Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's great. So the the idea is that the, you know again there are many lifetimes that we go through. I loved when Bob Diamond would you know when he said you know well you know dealing with fear that's what you little brains do right and that's you know that's and, and he he kind of says to him that's what we call you or you know behind your back uh, you know although he just said it to his face. Let's see what else here. Uh, he says that everybody on Earth deals with fear. It's like a giant fog that sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness. Uh, they can't get through that fear. Uh, but if you lift it, you're in for the ride of your life, which, um, again, is uh, you know what Tamara was saying, that it's fear that limits us from experiencing the world, uh, to which uh, Daniel says, my 3% is swimming. Let's see here. He explains to him that he's on trial, that he's going to have to defend or observe nine days or nine pieces out of his life. That's the premise. What the trial is, is they watch clips from their life, and everybody who's there has to see a different number depending on, you know, uh, I guess, you know, what evidence is required. Um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the strip club guy had to watch 15 days, uh, whereas Meryl Streep's Julie, I think only had to watch five days. Four. Daniel was four, four uh, even worse. Right. So, so, uh, Daniel was somewhere in the middle. And of course he's constantly worried about, is that a lot or not? Right. Yeah. Is, is nine days good or is it bad? Yeah. And, and there's also something about guilt that he says that he's going to be found guilty. And Bob tells him not to think in those terms. Although for, for a six, and I'm struggling myself as a one to not think in those terms of <laughs> feeling guilty for it. But right. I was trying to get out of that mindset and think if it's not, if you're not guilty, what are you? You know? And, but for sixes is okay, either I do what's expected or not. And if I don't, feel guilty for it. Yeah, the, the risk of the verdict, or I mean, yeah. being. Yeah. Yeah, being yeah. judged as guilty or not guilty. Yeah. I, I, I like so much the, the sentence that you mentioned right now, Mario, because I feel that somehow the scriptwriter wanted to define fear. And this is where he said about the cloud, all what uh, holds you from, the blocks, everything, and so on. So it, it was like a central to this is what we mean by fear. And this is yeah. what we, uh, this is what fears uh, results. I mean, it's like pl- blocking all of these beautiful emotions in life. Yes. So I liked it yes. very much in this conversation. Yeah, it, it, it re- really an important point here, right? It's that it's the fear that, you know, holds us back in so many ways. And again, we all experience it. This is the thing we have to constantly remind ourselves about the Enneagram is that the, the reason I think each of these movies uh, is effective, what we've done with it, is that it not only tells us about sixes, but it tells us about us, right? Because we all wrestle with fears, whether we're sixes or not. Uh, it's just that we wrestle with things in different proportions from each other. And this is this is six world, uh, whereas, you know, the, the rest of us are just kind of visitors sometimes or maybe, uh, you know, uh, spend part of our time there. There's, there's a lot of paranoia here as well right when he's sitting down with bob diamond after their first meeting and he's kind of looking him over actually i think he's looking him over in the office and yeah. he says you know what's wrong what did i do is something wrong right and he's no no i'm just looking at you. that tupa looks good on you right <laughs> not everybody does <laughs> so, yeah, kind of a a phoniness for sure to uh, 
to 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 Bob. Yeah, um, and when they talk about teenagers and they say that they don't go there because they damage the tupas. <laughs> yeah, they damage the tupas, right? And uh, so, and then they're sitting over breakfast, and he starts asking him about whether or not he gave to charity. Right. And he start, you know, why is that? Is it bad? You know, I mean, how much, you know, what's, what's a lot, right? He says, you know, I, I gave money to homeless people, but they don't give you receipts, you know? So he's, uh, he's trying to create this story about how he's, you know, actually charitable, even if he wasn't. And then Bob says, don't worry about it again. Yes. Yes. Don't worry about it. He meets Meryl Streep that evening. They, he wanders into a comedy club as he's looking for things to do. Again, they are there for five days. And so they're in court during the day, but they have free time to wander around, take advantage of all the amenities that it has to offer. Uh, Judgment City, you know, bowling alleys, comedy clubs, past lives, pavilion, uh, which we will come back to. So he meets Meryl Streep at a comedy club with perhaps the world's maybe even the universe's worst comedian. And uh, at some point, uh, Daniel heckles him a little bit. But the thing I find when they start talking and they're off on their own, he can actually be very charming and sweet, right? I mean, when he kind of relaxes a little bit and, you know, he has this sort of tenderness to him when he lets his guard down, which is another thing I see in sixes very often, right? It's just this this charming, sweet, kind quality that makes them very likable and attractive in a very, you know, uh, indeliberate or non-deliberate way. Uh, thoughts on that? I agree. And what I saw in her, it's what I said about the movie in general. I think that she really represents everything he would like to do if he would let go, that she just not concerned about the things that he is. And I, I think that that makes him feel more relaxed because it just doesn't remind him of anything, any of the things that he has in his mind. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Julia for a second, uh, the Meryl Streep character. Um, uh, first of all, she's way too good looking for him, and this is where he expressed his um, his theory that people should only marry someone who is just attractive enough to turn them on, uh, because if they're more attractive than that, it's only asking for trouble, right? Uh, which is again not a, not a particularly optimistic perspective on picking a potential spouse. Right? Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like. Like finding the risk in the in the most uh, beautiful situations. I mean, even when you have an advantage, you would look for the risk inside the advantage. <laughs> uh, but I think it was also based on his experience with his uh, ex-wife. Mm -hmm. That was very beautiful and didn't work yes. out. Yeah, and he said he was she was you know uh, far too beautiful for you know for him and his needs, uh, but you know not only being attractive in a young Meryl Streep sort of way, uh, she was just a she was basically a saint, right? I mean, when they you know they're uh, showing her life, it was all about her rescuing puppies and pulling kids from burning buildings and all this sort of stuff. Thoughts on her enneagram type? I thought she's a nine. A nine, okay. Yeah. I saw her as a seven. Yeah, I, I felt a bit of seven myself, right? Um, um, there, there was, uh, you know, there, there was a kind of an alertness and a, a joy and a happiness and, you know, all these things. Uh, you know, argument maybe could be made for two, right? I could see some nine stuff there as well. But, you know, uh, my first, I remember when I first watched it years ago, I was thinking two. 
but um, I've come to lean more towards seven, you know, not the most defined character, but uh, yeah. I would agree. And, you know, and again, which sort of makes it this opposite of the six in a way, right? We always talk about how the six looks for what could go wrong, whereas the seven looks for what could go right. Yeah, and she says things like that, like I make things kind of go right. I, I, I yeah. fix things or I take care of things. Yeah. And there's also such enjoyment in what she does and when she eats yes. and everything it's just amazing and and she just savors it so to me yes. it reminded me of the seven and the lightness because there was yeah. something about something a bit warnish as well i saw like trying to but but she was light and yeah. playful she ended up in Judgment City because she she tripped by a swimming pool, banged her head, rolled into the pool, and drowned, uh, which was kind of an embarrassing way to go. And she expressed that she was really pissed off about it because um, uh, she was a good swimmer. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. Now, of course, since she's a much better person than he is, she is staying at this beautiful hotel, right, where they have caviar and champagne, and he's staying kind of at a, you know, a nice enough place, but sort of a Motel 6 out by the airport, uh, you know, in a way, you know, where's where she's staying at the Ritz, let's see, being treated much better. Uh, the other thing we notice is that uh, all of the judges, prosecutors, and everybody else in Judgment City adore her and uh, want to be around her. All right. Yeah, and and he, and he tells her, uh, "Are you dating your defender? That's that can put you in trouble." So I mean, even that, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's always thinking about troubles that can yeah. happen. <laughs> yes, yes, he's su suspicious that she's cheating on him yeah. before they even have a relationship <laughs> with her with her attorney. All right, so they go to his first hearing, and he is, you know, again, he has to sit there and watch. Uh, film clips apparently the feeling i think they said it's like being uh, like watching something in 3d so it's a very lifelike experience uh, sitting in a dark chamber with the prosecutor the defender and two judges he's pretty freaked out by the whole thing particularly because bob diamond and the prosecutor and i'm blanking on her name yeah. the actress too Lena, yeah, thank you. The actress Lee Grant are clearly don't like each other and are feuding. And she has a reputation for being, you know, the the best and most aggressive and hostile uh, prosecutor in Judgment City. So the idea is they watch clips from the life uh, where they would detail it by uh, how old, year, month, and day of the person. So first clip is when he is 11 years, four days, uh, four months and 19 days. And he's picked on by a bully 
Again, he's not standing up to the bully, and the prosecutor is using this as an example of him being a coward, not standing up to the bully. So, of course, he starts to defend it, and uh, Bob Diamond defends it, saying, what, he's supposed to you know, get into fights with everybody? He's showing restraint, all of these explanations, and the argument keeps going back and forth between it's not so much about the action, it's about were you given into fear or not. Comments on that part? They keep coming up with alternative emotions. <laughs> and But even when he came up with frustration, he said, I guess. So it's always <laughs> kind of trying to say the yeah. right thing to yeah. see if it works, doubting yeah. himself. He's spinning scenarios here, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, testing uh, hypotheses uh, on this. And there's a funny part there because as he's going on at one point, Bob says to him, Wrap it up. <laughs> you know, cut, <laughs> cut some off. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, um, so after the the first day of the hearings, he goes out for sushi and meets a guy who made a lot of money in uh, adult books, <laughs> not reading them but uh, selling them, and also was proud of the fact that he coined the term "totally all nude" uh, for the strip clubs out by the airport. Uh, you know, uh, before he bought them, they just said nude and he changed it to totally all nude. This guy was looking at 15 days and apparently had been there quite a few times. It uh, probably wasn't going to get passed on either. Okay. Yeah, but I, I thought it was funny that uh, he got shot in a hunting accident because he was confused <laughs> with an animal. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe a six in their worst nightmares. <laughs> that you know <laughs> if i go hunting i might get confused with it with an animal and get shot you know yes yes <laughs> there is this theme of dying in stupid ways through the movie yes. right you know yeah. getting hit by a bus confused with an animal and shot by hunting Tripped. falling and you know yeah. tripping and drowning in a pool yeah <laughs> that's a good point yeah and, right. and the other thing is that when he's at the restaurant the guys who are preparing the meal it's are uh, keep shouting yeah, going to bathroom. Nine days. Nine, nine days. days. And it's Take like <clears throat> it's like magnifying the things that get said and which is a, like a horror movie for a six, you know? Yes. And like getting all this attention for the things that they're doing yes. and which could involve a bigger risk. So he goes in for the second day of his trial and Bob Diamond is not there. He got sort of tied up in the, uh, what was it, Tamara, you, you mentioned it before where he was, uh, where he got delayed. What, do you remember what it was? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he asked him the third day, uh, why did you, did you come? He said, you will not understand it. And then right. when he insisted, he said, I got trapped into my inner circle of thoughts. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So he has a, a substitute attorney played by Buck Henry, who was a, a very uh, famous comedy writer in the 70s and 80s, who apparently uses 51% uh, of his brain and uh, the, you know, the prosecutor says, oh, is that documented? Uh, because they're all very impressed by that. But it, the guy doesn't really do anything, right? Uh, you know, Daniel's upset that his attorney's not there. And the other guy says, oh, don't worry. Uh, the, the other guy's name is Dick Stanley in the, the, uh, in the movie. And he tells him, you know, no, don't worry. I'm very good at this. I know what I'm doing. But he doesn't say a word. And in fact, when they ask him, do you have anything to say, Mr. Stanley? He goes, no, I'm fine, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> which again taps into this fear thing, right? I mean, if you're on trial, would you want a prosecutor? I'm sorry, a defense attorney who just has nothing to say and leaves you to make your own case? He, um, he was also scared from the relationship between the prosecutor and the defender, the uh, the, uh, the the conversation between the prosecutor and the judges. So he wanted yes. even to postpone this day to another day. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. So they show a couple of more scenes. Um, I, you know, I think it was funny. Um, he was given the opportunity to, to invest in Casio before uh, it became famous, and a ten thousand dollar investment that he was considering making would have been ultimately worth thirty seven point seven million dollars. But he did not do it because he um, did not think that the Japanese would ever be able to make watches uh, in an effective way. Instead, he invested in cattle. Uh, yeah, so, so I think this taps into something that it that we see that in the short term it looked like the option of investing in cattle was a better option, kind of risk free. <laughs> but because uh, he was saying that the Swiss or maybe the Germans could. Right kind of build watches, but not the Japanese. And so he was trying to avoid a risk in the short term, but in the long term, it was a much worse investment, a lot yes. riskier because the cattle lost their teeth. <laughs> I mean, they fell out. <laughs> yeah, so that was when they asked him whatever happened with the cattle, he said, well, I never got a really good story, but all I know is their teeth fell out. Right? Yeah, so, right. yeah uh, and, and the way... The way he was discussing the risk with uh, his uh, his uh, friend in the in the in the college I mean, or the school, the sorry the, uh, the university, yeah. Euromate university. Yeah. He was like so sure that yes. that it will never happen. It was like he was so sure and uh, and and uh, uh, it will be three dollars and I will uh, we yes. will bet on that and we'll yeah. see each other and so. So and and this has always happened that I'm so sure about the risk and I I portray it in that way when, yes. it's, when it's a six. Yeah, he's he's very aggressive in that scene when he's telling the guy, you know, it'll never work. It's at six now. It'll be three in a month. You know, when this gets announced, uh, all of these things. And uh, again, we see that th that bouncing back and forth between certainty and uncertainty that we see in sixes. Right? It's that feeling of uncertainty and then grasping the first seemingly secure thing that comes along, and then eventually even abandoning that. So then they go on to show a series of 164 misjudgments, and she says half of them are fear-based, half of them are just stupid. Right? And so they, they show him, you know, doing all these dumb things, falling off a roof, you know, cutting his uh, table in half with a saw, uh, etc. And at one point, even the judge starts laughing, right? which is not a good sign for poor Daniel sitting there watching these things okay. so, so, um, so they were destroying his self-confidence and self oh completely in that sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah half, half of them fear-based half just stupid this was just a great line uh so he meets with meryl streep that night and they go to the past lives uh pavilion where they get to watch up to their five previous lives now do either of you know who the woman was who was the narrator at the past lives pavilion if you remember the woman shows up and everybody gasps uh do, do you know who she was and why that was uh in the movie 
I don't know why, but isn't she um, Shirley MacLaine? Is it? Yeah, so it's Shirley MacLaine who was uh, an actress, or I think I think she's still alive, but she was a, a famous act- actress. Warren Beatty's sister is, as well, another old old time actor at this point. But uh, she was famous for in the 1980s. She wrote a couple of books about reincarnation, uh-huh. right? Uh, believing that she had been, you know, describing her previous lives. Right. So uh, it was kind of a send up, you know, a self parody uh, for her to be the hostess at the Past Lives Pavilion. And uh, so tell me about the lives uh, that he is seeing and that <laughs> that, uh, that Meryl Streep is seeing. Any, any, anybody want to take that? Yeah, it's it's like complete contrast. The opposite is what he's seeing is uh, like uh, a tribe man running from a lion, and uh, it's like a d- dinner, as he said. Yes, <laughs> yes. So what were you in a previous life? Yeah. I was dinner. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's expression uh-huh. of a total fear versus she was like uh, I, I don't know uh, someone Prince who Valiant. Is fight, yeah, yes. Prince Valiant, who is like a courageous person who's like fighting yes. and so on. So it's like a complete contrast. Between between these two past lives and the uh, the old guy the old guy watching himself as a little girl playing with a doll was just <laughs> i thought hilarious what the hell is this you know <laughs> yeah and, and even before they went in she wanted to go and he said i hear some people don't like it you know so it's, <laughs> you know it could be bad i don't want to go in there i'm not so sure yeah. Okay. So they go off and uh, they have a nice evening. And you can tell by this point that they are, you know, really falling for each other. But again, the thing we notice is that even though this is, you know, feeling like the best relationship he's ever had, it also makes him nervous. Right. And it's at this point he says to her, you know, I feel like a better person when I'm around you, but I don't know if it's you making me a better person or if I really am a better person, right? So again, it's like he's got this gift horse. You know, we say don't look a gift horse in the mouth and he can't help himself, right? The best thing that's ever happened to me and I'm still not trusting it. And he says, uh, maybe you're making me okay. And she says, you're not that okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So um, next day, he's watching the footage of his speech. And uh, Tamara already touched on this. He's about to give a a big speech with, you know, hundreds of people in an auditorium. He starts to panic uh, right before and, you know, saying, I can't go out there. I can't go out there. They drag him out there. He stands there frozen in front of all these people. And fortunately, I guess, uh, the fire uh, department comes in and says there's been a gas leak and they take everybody out right so they get into an argument about whether he was actually facing his fear there because bob diamond says you know he was terrified but he went out there anyway and the prosecutor says yes but he didn't say anything right so again you know this for me speaks to this idea of courage is not binary right cowardice is not binary so yes he summoned somehow the courage even though he needed to be pushed, but he did go out on the stage, right? So he made it that far. Uh, so I guess he deserves some credit. Right? So again, this uh, this whole thing here is that it's everything's on a continuum this way, particularly when we're talking about sixes, it seems, rather than being binary. Yes. So there's a line from the prosecutor who says his life would have taken a better direction if he had mm. done it. And I think that this is what we see as the accelerator of collecting evidence of mm-hmm. successes and things that I did 
do and had the courage to do and did well. And so I think that that speaks to that part of the six. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It's currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. So they go out for dinner. They go out to him and Merle Streep and after that day of the trial uh, where they it's the speech it's the snowmobile thing where he had to crawl three miles with a broken leg um, after crashing that and he actually defends himself pretty well when they ask him why he never rode another uh, snowmobile again right so she frames it as well he never got back on a snowmobile after breaking his leg and having to crawl three miles and he kind of stands up for himself right did you remember what he, he said with this it's too long, but um, that it was didn't like the smell that his balls kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got rattled all over the place, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, yes, and it singed the hair off his thighs and you know all that sort of thing. So riding yeah. a snowmobile was a very unpleasant experience. So, but the the premise was you could see him legitimately standing up for himself here. Say, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm you know I'm not taking this one, right? I, you yeah. know, it's, it's you know there's a reason for this, and I'm justified here. Uh, which was, you know, again, kind of a courageous point. So they go for the Italian uh, restaurant, and this is the dinner where his prosecutor shows up. Um, the waiter, what was the Luigi, the waiter's name? Anybody remember? I, I want to say Luigi, but I'm just making Eduardo? that up. Eduardo, thank you. Yes, Eduardo, you know, says to her, "Do you like pasta?" And she says, "I love pasta. I'm going to bring you three pounds of pasta." Okay, uh, which is a lot of pasta. And, uh, you know, I'm going to bring, you know, says to him, do you like shrimp? I'm going to bring you three dozen shrimp and and then I'm going to bring you steak and I'm going to bring you pies. And he's starting to panic because his prosecutor's there. And yeah, before that, he says, aren't they high in cholesterol for the shrimp? <laughs> yeah. and, and, the, and Eduardo says, don't know what not, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, but they're high in everything, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. So again, it's this idea of you know something wonderful is coming towards you, and you're looking for the negative part of it, right? You're going to get three dozen of the best shrimp you've ever eaten in your life, and for some reason, even though you're in Judgment City and you don't have to worry about gaining weight, you're asking about the cholesterol. All right. So uh, Meryl Streep is having fun eating her pasta. This makes Daniel even more nervous. And again, it's an example of him being paralyzed, not being able to enjoy this incredible meal with this amazing woman uh, because of his fear of being judged by the prosecutor. It gets us back to that quote that uh, Tamara referred to about the, the, uh, uh, the effect of fear. Okay. So, uh, and he even says when um, the, the, when Eduardo is trying to bring him all the food, you're embarrassing me, 
right? You're uh, doing all these things. So he walks her back to her hotel. She basically invites him up to her room, and he desperately wants to go, but he does not. Explain for me why he didn't want to go. Just fearing from the consequences. And I think he didn't know what exactly the consequences, but he was still scared. <laughs> yes, yes. And and so what was interesting for me about it was that he said, you know, if this is the most amazing thing ever, I'll never get to happen and have it again because, you know, I'll never see you again after today. And if it's awful, I won't even have the joy of reliving the moment, right? So it's like, you know, I mean, either way, if it's good or it's bad, it scares me. And so I'm going to stay paralyzed. So he uh, he ends up leaving, going back to his room. And what happens when he gets back to his room? Yeah, yeah I guess, Mario, this also demonstrates the self-doubts of the six that I might, I might uh, really spoil this. I mean, it's, it's already great, but I doubt myself. Maybe the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting would make it worse. So, so it's better not to do anything. It's better not to seize yes. the opportunity. So this self-doubt theme in the six. Yes, absolutely. It can lead to a paralysis, right, uh, which happens here. Maria Jose, what happens when he goes back to his room? Before he leaves the pies at the hotel, he doesn't take the pies with him. Oh, you know what? I, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, uh -huh. He leaves uh -huh. the pies at the Majestic. Nine um, pies, yes. <laughs> he goes back to the hotel and he changes his mind. He regrets what he did. He tries to call her, realizes that he doesn't know her last name. So there are two Julias at the hotel who have asked not to be Bother, I mean, to be disturbed. disturbed in their rooms. So he leaves a message to both of them <laughs> saying that <laughs> he loves yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, tell them I love them. <laughs> so you got to wonder what the other Julie was thinking. Julia was thinking when she woke up, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yes, he he regrets his decision. He tries to correct it, but it's too late. And uh, so he uh, spends the night alone before his last trial day. Now, they also know that they're not going to be able to see each other because uh, they get whisked away immediately from the uh, the courtroom to whatever happens next, right? So, uh, this is their goodbye that, uh, you know, and, uh, that he uh, regrets having. So, so he goes for the next day. Uh, they make the case that he is, has tackled his fear and they use uh, upgrading himself on a flight to Hong Kong from L.A. and paying an extra $3,000 that represented one-third of his net income, I'm sorry, his net worth at the time uh, after his divorce as a mark of bravery, you know, which, of course, uh, is debatable, right? That's kind of the counterphobic part of it as well. It's, mm. okay, I'm in trouble, and, okay, I'll do it anyway. Yes. So he uh, he goes and he takes the trip that he was supposed to do with his wife instead of cashing in the ticket. Uh, he uh, he does that, but uh, anyway, he is found guilty, I guess, um, after the trial. Yeah, but but they them. show the scene where he uh, doesn't want to go up with her to her room at the hotel. Yeah, yes, yes, as yes. a sign of like he hasn't really got over his fear, and he even says, "I'm afraid." And yes. Or he's about to say, I'm afraid, and but it's yeah. obvious that that's how he feels. And he, uh, the prosecutor uses that scene 
to show that he's not ready yet. Yeah, it was the final proof that he had not overcome his fears. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tamara, were you going to say something there? No, no, actually, after that, with the uh, with the transformation, this is the part that I wanted to discuss, but uh, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. coming to that. Okay, sure, mm-hmm. sure. So it was interesting what, so after the trial, after he is found guilty and he's going to be sent back to Earth, Bob Diamond is walking him to the tram and tells him, you know, don't worry, you're not going to remember any of this. You know, it feels bad now, but, you know, it'll be gone soon. And then he, he makes a comment that caught my attention where he says, he says, good luck, kid. Uh, I've got a lot of faith in you. And he says, you shouldn't get others get to you like this. Oh, yeah. As well. Yeah. yeah. Say more about that, Maria Jose. I go with the faith. I mean, you, you wanted yeah. to say something about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so the, 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 the idea is that, you know, he says, I have faith in you. And again, it made me think of this, um, you know, idea that we have talked about regarding the six, this idea of faith. Okay, as uh, you know, we have as an accelerator, what we call an accelerator for point six, this idea of accumulating evidence. And we used to talk about it as faith, but faith rooted in evidence, right, of accomplishment. Um, But again, that almost sounds contradictory because usually we think of faith as a lack of need for evidence. Okay. So when I heard that line uh, you know, the other day as I was watching this again, I started thinking of Kierkegaard's uh, idea of um, the leap of faith, right, as a, as a term we hear very often uh, that comes from the, the philosopher, the existentialist slash Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And uh, what he was saying there was more complicated than this idea of just making a jump of faith, right? A jump of faith is kind of like, or a leap of faith is kind of like, oh, well, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I'm going to try it, right? But Kierkegaard was talking about something much deeper here. And some people have translated what he said as a leap into faith, Um, But what he was talking about here is at some point, you have to just stop thinking about things and you have to say, I'm going to act. Right. And so this leap of faith is not so much about doing something that, you know, might work or might not work. It's about saying, you know what, I've done all the thinking I can. Now I need to do. Right. So it's an abandonment of thinking. Not because I haven't thought about it, but because I've thought about it enough and I'm ready to move, okay? Uh, which I think sets up what happens next, right? So what happens next? He's on the tram and then what? Yeah, I mean, he, he's on the tram and going to wherever he's going uh, because he failed the trial while he finds out that one of the other trams, uh, Julia, is in it, but she's going definitely to a great place <laughs> somewhere different right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. and 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 here when he starts to overcome his own fears and try to call her i mean try to uh, say julia julia and she noticed that and he started to go out of the tram well with all the risk that there are other trams that they uh, can really hit him or and there is some kind of uh, spark that happens when he goes out of the tram, of the tram, it's and shock. yeah, and take all of these risks until he reaches to uh, to the tram of uh, Julia and try to get in, but he cannot. And we find out that the judges and the prosecutor and defender are watching from the screen all of these scenes. And now the defender would say, "Is this courageous enough?" I, I think I'm not sure. Yeah. Was it the defender or one of the judges? Is this is this uh, 
Uh, brave, I think it was brave enough, said, right? Yeah, yeah brave I think enough for you. Yeah. And they say yes, and they give the order to open the door of the tram of Julia, so they, she, he can join her track. It's like being upgraded to a better yeah. place because of this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. So at the very last possible moment, he makes that leap into faith, takes action, stops thinking, and is rewarded for it. So uh, he gets to go on. Now, I am always curious about where that tram was going. Do they remember what happened in Judgment City? Or, you know, do they end up as, you know, baby chickens somewhere who, you know, have no relationship to each other? I don't know. But it's nice to think that they uh, somehow lived happily ever after. One thing that we haven't talked about yet was the instinctual biases in this movie. We've touched around this a little bit regarding Daniel's instinctual bias. What are, you, what are your thoughts on his instinctual bias here? Yeah, it was hard for me, but I think he was either transmitting or navigating. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of navigating with some flashes of transmitting. Very concerned about status and how what people are going to think of him and dismissive of the preserving stuff he was risk avoidant but couldn't understand why people <clears throat> drove certain cars as if it was going to be the end of the world or something so yeah. he didn't resonate with the preserving stuff he was more attuned to status and identity and what people how he was perceived by other people mm-hmm. yeah yeah, 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 I've seen, I've seen lots of navigating in him. I mean, uh, how is he perceived most of the time is really yeah. what concerns him. Even, even some of his fears uh, when he was negotiating his uh, salary, I, I thought somehow it was like uh, I need to fit here, so I have to like agree on whatever they are giving me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. To set up that scene, he was having his wife role play with him and he was saying, no, I'm not going to settle for anything less than $65,000 a year. And he's acting big and bold. And as soon as he sits in the interview, the guy says, I can offer you 49,000. He says, I'll take it. And even the interviewer is shocked uh, that he, you know, that he accepted the, the 49,000. Yeah. So I, I, I would agree. Uh, he struck me as a navigating six, the contradiction for navigating where the uh yeah the contradiction that we talk about is you know acceptance versus uh judging right or it's uh connecting versus judging it's the the kind of the the trap that navigators fall into is evaluating and judging other people and they were in judgment city he was being evaluated he was being observed he was being uh, assessed and he was aware of it. And that's all he was thinking about. How are people perceiving me? How are people going to think about me for eating all this shrimp? How what are they going to think that I'm carrying nine pies around? And how he was judging Julia when she was eating. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. This will reflect poorly on us. And some of the nice things about it, too, was, you know, again, it belies some of the stereotypes about navigators and how navigators are all about groups and wanting to be with people and have lots of friends and all that stuff. It was his birthday and he was alone, right? Uh, because he, you know, he's, he viewed his work his co-workers as his family, he said, you know, uh, in the beginning of the movie. He was not a social person. And even during the, you know, his time in Judgment City, he was not 
somebody who was, you know, going out wanting to be with lots, you know, kind of connect with a lot of people. But every night he would go out, right? Even the first night he's there alone, he doesn't sit in his hotel room and watch television or, you know, sit in the diner and eat all he can. He just wants to go out and see what's happening. And so he goes out navigating. So I think it was a really good navigating six theme here. Julia, you know, again, probably a navigating seven from yeah. my view. Uh, you know, some of the others, you know, the other characters weren't clearly distinct. Certainly, I don't know. What do you guys think about Bob Diamond? Where would you put him? <laughs> <laughs> any any question on what you think is his uh, subtype? I don't know about type, but how about instinctual bias? Yeah, <laughs> cl- clearly transmitting, right? So, yeah, it's really indifferent to what other people thought. I even said to him when he's leaving him sometimes, he says, hey, you have any questions? Give me, just give me a call as he's walking away. And, and he says, well, I do have a question. He says, okay, see ya, you know, and just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> so, all right, great. So, um, again, defending your life. Uh, you know, I, I think it was a, a clever entertaining funny movie you know certainly not something everybody loves but uh you know i don't know anybody that hated it but again the important thing here for our purposes is if you uh if you want to understand the six this is a movie to watch thank you for listening to the enneagram and a movie podcast part of the awareness to action podcast network Find out more about the Enneagram and our offerings at awarenesstoaction.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please go online and give us a review. We'll see you next time.